Well, obviously, hackers. there's going to be an increase in attacks on and a more concerted in set of attacks on our infrastructure. And so while your company is not going to be directly impacted because your computer system is not going to go down if um, your employees don't have water or electricity or you don't have electricity in your building because the power grid was taken down. Uh, it'll be s- similar to Snowmageddon, you know, last year. Yeah. That, that kind of an environment is can be recreated through a cyber threat landscape. From the patriotic hackers, the, the really, if, if I could say good thing about it, is these are not novel threats. These are, we're talking about an increase in their focus on it, an increase in their attempts on it. But it's the same threat that we face really day in and day out. And so if you have a really strong security posture and you have a a hardened environment, I will never tell a client or a potential client that we will absolutely prevent you from being hacked. Because if anybody does promise you that, you turn around and leave. There's no such thing as a guarantee. Talk to Google, talk to Microsoft, talk to DOD. I mean, if any of these companies or entities you'd think wouldn't be hacked, it would be those, and they still got hacked. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. And you can click on podcasts, scroll down to this episode, other episodes, download from the different platforms, learn more, connect, so forth. And naturally, if you're ever looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, even if it's not here in Fort Worth, Texas, click that find a trusted professional and we will make sure you get somebody who takes good care of you. But today's conversation is going to be really interesting, talking about websites and online and everything else. My good friend, my fellow EO Forum teammate, Brian Rogers, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Yeah. And which is really going to be really funny because Brian is a very extroverted personality. <laughs> he talks a lot and so Typical forth. Typical IT guy, right? <laughs> So before I start all these, I, I, you know, as, as you listen to these other episodes, I got to do a joke. Father-in-law says I got to do a joke, so I intentionally do bad jokes. You ready for this? If April showers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? I have no idea. Pilgrims. But I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the cleanest thing you've ever heard come out Pretty of my close. mouth. Pretty <laughs> close, yeah. I've learned, to, I've learned to wince when you say I've got a joke, yes. So in our EO forum, is, uh, for the audience, uh, you listen to several of these episodes, is entrepreneur organization, you have these forums, and you've learned about those, and, and, and uh, I've had several of our forum mates on here, uh, you know, Don Williams and Justin Harlan, and I'm trying to make my rounds, try to get everybody on here. But these are, you know, and I really want to start this off of, of setting the characterization of how I feel about the folks in our forum is you guys in my mind and heart are the tier one operators of the business world. I've learned so much from you and I've, I've taken away so much that where I was a year and a half ago, which is still a pretty good place in business, to where I am now is astro- astronomical. Like even last month when we met and we do updates, and I was like, man, I'm, 
I'm ahead of the I'm ahead of the curve right now. This is great, and and and, and I was able to get there because of having trusted professionals like you guys to to just work through this stuff, and you've helped me through so many challenges that I had, and even helped me point out when y'all were like, "Hey, you're the fucking problem." <laughs> You know, it, EO as an organization is phenomenal, but that group of men in particular, those eight guys that we have in that forum, are, are the reason that I'm still in business. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that they're the reason that I pushed through, was able to push through some of the really difficult times of starting my business and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pr- pretty phenomenal group of guys. It is. It, it really is. Well, let's start off, you know, talking about, you know, where you're from and how you got to where you're at here in Fort Worth, Texas today. So where does the journey start for you? So I grew up in far west Texas, El Paso, Texas. So I get a chuckle anytime somebody in Midland or the Panhandle start talking about West Texas because you still got another 200 miles before you actually get to West Texas where (laughs) I was from, where I grew up. Graduated high school, came to TCU and uh, spent my four years here. Came here expecting to be a doctor. My organic chemistry professor convinced me otherwise. And uh, had my de- graduated with a degree in psychology and didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up at that point. To do anything in psychology, you had to uh, go get a master's degree or more. And I was, I was done with school. I had been taken, because I was on music scholarship also, I had music classes that I was taking in addition to my core classes. And I really needed to, was taking a bunch of other summer school classes to kind of make up for that to make sure I graduated in four years. So I'd pretty much been continuously in school for four years and I was done. I had to, happened to be really good at computers. It wasn't something I had a lot of formal training in, took some c- computer programming classes in high school and stuff, but it wasn't something I was terribly into in as much as I just happened to be really good at it. And I got a job working for New Horizons Computer Learning Centers as an instructor teaching adults how to use initially applications Microsoft Office Suite, teaching some HTML, teaching them how to use Windows 95, things of that nature. Figured out that I wanted to get into something more technical, so I got over into the technical training side where I was teaching Microsoft Microsoft technical courses, Windows Server, uh, networking courses, Microsoft Exchange, things like that. And then I wanted to get out into the, the real IT world. One of the things that I realized is that so many of the people that were st- sending their people to me to learn how to do things didn't actually believe that I knew how to do things. So what do, what do you mean by that? You know, there's a curriculum that we have to follow. And in some of them just kind of in the IT world, they kind of view instructors in some regard as kind of trained monkeys that we know how to teach to the curriculum. Now, my instruction style was very different, frustrated my training managers, actually, because I taught what was on there, but I didn't teach the curriculum. I made my my own curriculum because frankly, I thought it was crap. And so I made up my own curriculum, hit the same requirements. That's not entrepreneurial at all. Not in the least. (laughs) Um, But I ended up training my own own courses, uh, hitting the same topics, had an incredible passing rate on that. But I did learn a little bit about what they were talking about somewhat, just simply because they... When I saw some of the people that I was able to get to passing those certification exams and then they could barely spell IT, I I really lost some faith in the exams themselves. And I did. I wanted to get out and start to do some more more real-world IT work. I left there, got into a very small oil and gas company. I was the sixth person that was hired uh, in this small oil and gas company, was in there, we got to grow up. 
and we got purchased by a larger company, Range Resources, where I got to, again, grow up within the organization. Ultimately got to be uh, director of IT, had 60 people on my staff, $25 million budget, 1,200 people at one point we were supporting for a $14 billion organization. It was an unbelievable learning experience for a guy that had a psychology degree out of, out of TCU. So I really never expected actually to be in corporate for very long, but by the time I got to that point and I got to the director level in this S&P 500 publicly traded company, was doing really well. The CFO to whom we reported at the time had really high expectations of me and, and big plans for me. I thought there would be worse things than ultimately becoming a VP in a, a you know, large oil and gas company and stuff like that. The oil industry changed, the company changed, and IT was moved from the CFO to the COO. They had different priorities, and it wasn't very long that the VP to whom I reported, as well as myself, uh, were let go. For no reason other than, as best as we can tell, they were trying to put their stamp on something. So, What was uh, that feeling like, by the way? You know, it was hard particularly since it was actually telegraphed pretty well. Uh, there was one point where I came, my VP was fired first, and there were things that were going on where I, I, I told my wife, I think I'm going to get fired on, and I actually gave the date. And she said, Brian, this, this is going to work out. You, you know, you're overreacting. And I said, no, no, let me tell you why. And I had a staff meeting for my whole staff that is a, it was a regular monthly staff meeting that I had in the mornings and then the departmental assistant actually changed it to an afternoon. It was my meeting with my staff and, and she didn't ask me about that. And when I went and asked her, she said, well, the new VP said we needed to change it to that time. Okay. And so I explained that to her and I said, I think I'm getting fired on Wednesday. And she said, I think you're getting fired on Wednesday. And I was right, had it down to the minute that it was going to happen at that level. We kind of knew how the, the process went. Lord knows I had done my own hirings and firings and was really just trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. What year was this? This would have been 2016, July 2016. Okay. And uh, fortunately, it worked out in such a way that I had some time to figure out what I wanted to do without really having to stress and without having to really freak out. What do you mean by that, by having time? I had time to not have to worry about where my funds were coming from okay. without disclosing any other yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> things that yeah. I'm contractually not allowed right, to talk right, about. Right, right. So your burn weight was going to be taken care of for a good while. For a little for while, yeah. 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 And so I had time to really figure that out. And what was interesting is that I had always, like I said, I would mentioned, I never had any intention of getting into corporate America. I had always had an entrepreneurial spirit. spirit. My wife's worst fear was to hear me say, honey, I've been thinking about something. <laughs> and she, that was a, that was a facepalm moment and something along those lines to, to really just make her kind of regret what I was getting ready to say. But again, as, as I had grown through the ranks and had gotten to a point, I had gotten comfortable with the idea of being in corporate. But for somebody that has an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit and somebody that really is focused on helping people, one of, the, one of the dirty secrets about myself is that I am actually not obsessed with technology. I happen to be very, very good at it. I happen to absorb it very well, and I stay on top of what's going on. But it is not my life's passion. And so 
it's really it's really easy for me to see think that maybe I can go do something else, but it's something I'm really good at. And so my goal in life is to try and bless other people, try and help other people. And if I happen to be very good at IT, it's where my training has been. That's what I want to leverage to help people. Well, the, in corporate technology, in corporate IT, everybody hates you. The, the general rule and, and everybody hates their corporate IT department. And as a result, they don't really look to you for help. They just roll their eyes when they have to engage you. And that's not an environment I wanted to be in. And it wasn't until I'd been away from it for a while that I realized how soul-sucking that environment was. Not the company. The company was a wonderful company. I loved the people for whom I've worked. Uh, it was a great people that I worked with. But it was not, it wasn't the environment because ultimately everybody just thought we were getting in the way as opposed to seeing us as a way to help. So I really had an opportunity to decompress, start to understand that had some opportunities to get in as a vice president at some smaller oil and gas companies and uh, decided that's not the route I wanted to go. And I started looking into different ways to be in business for myself. Um, Really hadn't even known about the concept of a managed services provider, which um, an IT MSP is what you'll hear a lot. And, And basically it is a outsourced IT company and outsourced IT company that acts as the IT department for businesses that don't want to deal with hiring and firing of IT people, incentivizing them, understanding, trusting, you know, all that stuff, making that investment in that. Most companies, as I've come to learn, would prefer to go to a managed services provider and let somebody like me worry about all that stuff downstream so that executive management doesn't have to worry about that. Describe what you mean by worrying about that stuff downstream for the audience. You know, IT people are a different breed. I, uh-uh. I, I, I like to consider myself a high-functioning IT person, <laughs> socially high-functioning IT person. But the fact of the matter is it, it, it's a different group of people. They're motivated by different things. And uh, sometimes that's money, but it's not as frequent as you might imagine. The IT infrastructure or the IT workforce is actually getting younger and younger and is all, all, always getting younger and younger. And so needing to learn how to manage that, knowing how to speak their language, know how to incentivize them and get them to care about the things that really still have to be cared about. They still have to care about customer service. They still have to care about responsiveness. But presenting that to them in a way to get them to do that is not something that maybe a real estate agent is going to be really great at doing or the head of a manufacturing company or a food manufacturing company. Those people don't want to worry about this other aspect of people management because it's just a different breed from accountants, operations people, things like that. So how do you end up finding your company that you have now? I had been looking at different companies that were available and, and again, learned about this MSP. And then I had... So were you looking at things outside of IT stuff or... I was was tangentially related. Yeah. Uh, People were really trying to push me towards printing products. Um, Yeah, that works out. Printing is the... (laughs) I hate printing. And uh, every time somebody would try to recommend that, oh, it's just like IT. No, it's not. My goal as an IT professional is to eliminate everything printed, hard copy, and to put everything digital. Um, And I stumbled on a listing for a company that was for sale in Fort Worth of all places. So it wasn't even something I was gonna have to look at possibly moving for or run in absentia, you know, run remotely or anything along those lines. 
contacted the seller. It didn't work out on that first pass, but I fell in love with the idea and the concept. And more importantly, my wife had actually gotten to a point where she was very comfortable with this prospect. And because it wasn't going to be something that was just going to be me, this was going to impact my whole family. And for God to have moved her in such a way to make her comfortable with the idea of me going out on my own was was very telling to me. And so I decided I was going to go this on my own. So when that first deal fell through, I said, I'm going to I'm going to do this anyways. And so I started ACO in uh, October of 2016. Got in an attorney friend of mine, had an extra office that I was able to lease from him because I found out working from home is not for me. Uh, and, yeah. and so I got into this office and, and really started trying to build a base on my own. And for somebody that's not great at sales and not great at networking, it was a, that was a tough road to hoe for me to really, really start off with. And then in March of 2017 that deal came back around the the seller had the deal that he thought he was going to take that was going to be an easier deal for him fell through and so he came back around and i said well yes i'm i am still interested but the the deal has changed and and so we went through did some negotiations talked through things and then in may of 2017 we we closed that deal and so i was able to really kind of buy that revenue Business had been in place for 20 years. I thought I was buying an established company with established processes, a solid staff. I knew it was going to be an imperfect company, but I didn't know exactly how imperfect it was going to be until I got into it. And the first day that I was there, they had 200 open tickets that had been sitting there that were... For for the audience, uh, what's an open ticket? When somebody has an issue, has an open issue, they send us an email that says, hey, I need help with this, and it generates a ticket in, the, in our ticketing system. And that ticket remains open. Some people will call it an incident, and it will stay open until that ticket is resolved. And at that time, there were 200 tickets that were, that were sitting there showing to be open. Now, a number of them had already been closed. A lot of them had been forgotten about. But to put that in perspective, I actually have about 20% more customers, uh, 30% more customers now than I did then. Amounts to about 70 more, or 70% more seats than I had supported then that I do now. And we average 13 tickets open from one day to the next. Wow. And so that, that kind of puts into perspective that kind of a difference on wow. that. So... And there were other there were other things that kind of came up through the course of the conversation or through the course of starting that business and and trying to turn things around that we really had some cultural things that had to be changed and fixed. But fortunately, it happened to be what I was good at. It allowed me to neglect the sales and marketing portion because it was an area that I wasn't great. It was an area that I didn't want to invest time in because I wasn't great at it. And I had all these other things that, frankly, I needed to address before I had something that I felt comfortable marketing and selling about. And so I really had to turn things down, turn things around from an operational standpoint, um, making them understand that things need to be more urgent to us than they are the customer and and really work work towards that kind of stuff. But it was right in my wheelhouse. It was the it was the management that I did 
when I was at range. That was turning turning departments around, doing things like that. That was what I did from that standpoint. So you reduce your open ticket, and I just ran the numbers on this because you know I can't do that in my head, math for Marines. You reduced your open tickets by 94%. I didn't do the math, but that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And so what kind of bandwidth does that open up when you're able to reduce something like that down that much or their lack of? <clears throat> yeah. So that's an, that's been another area where we've really kind of leaned out. Now, part of it was because we had some underperforming employees that were just – it wasn't just a – reduction in the number of bodies in seats, but I, I needed to find people that were going to be highly accountable. And, and in a lot of cases, that wasn't the case with who was there. There were 12, 11 people that were expected to be brought over when I bought the company. One chose not to come over. And then the rest of them are came over and I worked with them for a little over a year or almost a year in some cases trying to figure out if they could be turned around, if it was the right person in the wrong seat to kind of use EOS terminology, or if it was just the wrong person altogether. And we reduced our staffing to down to, at one point, down to five people. Uh, So we cut it almost in half, and we were performing better with fewer people because we had, there were five people that bought into what it was that I was trying trying to get to. We had some bumps along the road, lost some major customers because some of the people that I knew had it in them to be um, to be what I needed them to be. They did not buy into what I was selling immediately. And so they kind of continued to do things their way. And uh, we lost we lost a couple of big customers, one big customer in particular that, that nobody thought we were going to lose, despite the fact that I kept telling them we were going to. But we had to do that. We had to lose that customer so I could get their attention. Yeah. And uh, and we did. And our customer sat is averaging 4.92 out of 5 right now on our reviews. Uh, we're getting un- unbelievable responses. Uh, we're, we're in a p- position now where before I was just having to fight to get our customer's attention. And uh, just this, uh, this morning, I was having a conversation with a customer about what to do with their what they wanted to do about their internet service. And there were three different options. And it was kind of a Goldilocks kind of thing. Too little, you know, too soft, too hard, too too firm, or, or, you know, yeah. along there, too hot, too cold, just right. And I presented the options to them and said, this is what you can do. And they had business implications. There were financial business implications on this that I really didn't feel comfortable speaking to because I don't know the state of their company. I don't know what kind of money they can absorb versus not absorb and stuff like that. And I presented that to him and he just said, well, Brian, what do you think we should do? And, it, and it, this wasn't a technical issue. This was actually a business question that he was asking me. And that was what that really felt me made me feel really good about the fact that I've really come around full circle where they're not just looking at me for technical advice. They're trying to figure out how the technical stuff fits into their business. And they're trusting my business acumen on top of all that to help them make those decisions on on how that's all going to fit together. So on the outside looking in, you're an IT company, but the inside looking out, really you're a business development tool. Yeah. Right? Business improvement, business efficiency, how to make things better, faster, stronger, more profitable, and, and, and so forth. And that's where we yeah. provide the most value is when we're able to be 
intricately involved in their operations because there are IT considerations of decisions that they often don't think about. Don't even think that there's an IT consideration there. But when they start to think, hey, maybe we need to invite invite ACO into this conversation just to see, it's I know we're making an impact there. What made you choose ACO? The name? Yeah. So it was a really interesting. If you've ever, you've run much, lots of businesses, yeah. it's hard to find a business name at this point that has any kind of relevance. Yeah. Uh, my boys go to Southwest Christian School in Southwest Fort Worth. My wife teaches there. Their, and their mascot is the Eagles. And I wanted this to be a full business venture, both full family venture. And I was driving the boys to school. They were young. They were actually going to the elementary campus at this time. I said, guys, I need help. Yes, sir. What do we need? And uh, I said, I need to help name this company. I've got my, you know, official 78R Holdings Company name that has no panache to it. Is there's mm. nothing. I need a, an operating name. So we need to come up with a name. I need some help that sounds like an IT company. And they, we were driving them to school, and they pulled out their phones and got on Google Translate, and they start hitting Eagle for all kinds of different languages. And we got to Hawaiian. And Eagle is Aiko. Aiko is Eagle in Hawaiian. And uh, they said, that sounds like an IT company. And we kind of thought about it and we really liked it. And they said, nobody's going to be able to pronounce it at first. And we were right. But it, it makes for an interesting story. It's a great icebreaker story when it comes up. Yeah. And it was just a really fun thing to be able to share with, with the kids and, and share with the family. So everybody understood this was not dad's got a job. This is a family entity now that we're going to, that we're responsible for and we have to nurture it. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So of the original employees, when you bought the company, how many of them are still there? Three. Three. That, and that, so three in eight years, six years? Uh, four and a half, five, four, almost five. five. Yeah, we're, oh, going, we're coming on five years. Math for Marines. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so almost five years. Um, you know, and it, this is this, this for the audience that doesn't know Brian. Brian is one one of the um, best humans I've ever met, and got a heart heart. His heart's bigger than he is. He's a big You're guy, very, very kind, right? And, and so, going through the attrition of employees, knowing you as I know you, is that had to that had to do some weighing in on you as well. That it, had to been that wasn't easy for you. It wasn't, yeah. and, and, and there were some that were easier than others. <laughs> some make it very easy. <laughs> yeah. <don't they? laughs> uh, but by and large, you know, you're impacting some, you know, their well-being. In in the cases where they were not only not contributing, but they were in sometimes, sometimes flaunting it, uh, and maybe not to me, but flaunting it to each other internally. Um, it still wasn't easy, but it was a very quick decision and, and one with which I didn't carry any guilt. I did try and keep up with him to the best that I could to understand where it was going. There was one in particular where he was a um, one of the best technical minds that I had, I've ever had the opportunity to work with. I could hand anything to him and he was, he would figure it out given enough time. And the problem was he had been with the previous company and, and the owner of the previous company is an interesting character that put people in bad positions and put them in no-win positions. And he, he'd had two stints with this guy and then had come through and in the very first few years, well, really the first year of me purchasing, I mean, it was 
it was a gut punch every Friday. It was like everybody got through their work week and said, oh, yeah, I got to piss off my IT company <laughs> on Friday afternoon. And so I got to a point where I really resented and really looked, didn't look forward to Friday afternoons because I was worried about what company was going to try and fire us, what one was going to demand a meeting, which one was going to be yelling at us. And um, it was that first year of transition and doing some of that stuff. And that takes its toll on the staff also, especially if you're trying to get them to, to really care. Uh, in this case, this guy's give a damn was just busted. It's, yeah. it, it, it wasn't that he was a bad guy. Uh, and I actually found him another job before I approached him and said, here's another opportunity for you. But it's time to go. But it's time to go. You can take it if you want, if you want to find something else. But by this date, you're going to be gone. Yeah. But it, w- it was a situation where I, I really wanted him to do well. And so we found him another opportunity. So what's that like buying a company that comes with a culture that is complete night and day difference of the culture you're going to create? What was that like? It wasn't unlike something that I'd already had. You know, I had an opportunity at range. I was, I joked that when I was, when my company was bought, I doubled the IT staff in Fort Worth. And so over the time that I was there, we went from, you know, just the two of us with two other people and and other branches, so four in total, uh, to a staff of 60 over the 10 years that I was there. Some of that was me getting other managers' problems. Um, It was something where they had great people, they had a great situation within the staff, but it wasn't working well with this manager. And so they just moved that group under mine and said, Brian, straighten this mess out. Mm -hmm. And so it was something that I was familiar with doing and and really kind of straightening things out because I do, I did lay it out the very first time I met them. I said, guys, the whole reason I'm doing this is because I want to bless people. Obviously, I'm not going to make bones about the fact I want to bless my family with revenue, with income. I'm not going to hide that. But I also want to bless employees with a great working environment and a, and, and a great compensation for you guys. I also want to bless my customers so that they feel valued, so that they feel like they have a partner and a place that they can go in something like this, especially in this environment where we really lead with security. I came from, you know, the oil and gas industry is actually the third most targeted cyber, uh, cyber security industry in, in the world behind medical and finance. And so we really had a lot of that we had to worry about on the cyber front. We were a publicly traded company, so we had to do uh, Sarbanes-Oxley compliant stuff. So I came from all of that stuff. And my goal when I came in with this and and my, what do you call it, the uh, unique selling preposition, the USP. Mm -hmm. And the USP that I was going to bring to the whole thing was that I'm bringing an enterprise focus to the small and medium sized business space to make people understand why big companies do this. And oh, by the way, it's not as onerous or as expensive as you think it's going to be, but it's it's required and it's necessary. And here's why. So I was able to bring that focus in, and that was what I was wanting to do. But I had to get the team to understand that. But the first thing I had to do was get the team to care about the customers because they had gotten so beat up so much with this previous ownership and and the way they had been hung out to dry, they had gotten desensitized to the needs of the customers. And the, that was the first thing I had to do is I had to get them to care about the needs of the customers. How did you do that? The biggest thing that I was able to do was I was able to identify the ones that were capable of doing that and then get them to trust me 
that I was going to take care of them. And a number of those ones and most of the ones that were let go were not capable of doing that or I wasn't going to be able to get them there. The ones that I kept, I was able to get them to appreciate that and get them to trust me that I wasn't going to hang them out to dry, that I was going to take care of them as long as I knew they were taking care of the customer. And it wasn't a situation of you had a conversation, you had one of your podcasts where they were talking about the customer's not always right. And there are times, especially in IT, that the customer isn't always right because we get people at the worst. They are so frustrated because this is just supposed to work and I don't understand why it doesn't work. And they've been futzing around with it for a half hour, an hour before they call us. And they're just mad and they're just frustrated and they're angry and getting them to understand that that's just a state that's that's not who they are that's mm-hmm. just a state of that moment and that they're going to appreciate you being calm and the and that you caring for them is going to make a difference in the long run um, but first they had to trust that i cared for them and that i was going to support them if a customer was being unreasonable and being mean and and stuff like that yeah that is that is <laughs> tough uh to do is change those mindsets, right? And uh, but also to identify who you want your customer to be, right? Um, and that was, uh, you know, prior to the fund here. You know, still got the span group. Just yay, hit number one in Sotheby's again, four years in a row, and ding ding, all that. <laughs> and uh, uh, but it was. I, I remember seeing when we were successful, when we could start telling people no. Not because they were bad people, they just were not the right fit. You're not the customer I'm looking for. You're not the client I'm looking for. And to turn down, you know, in any given year, more than $4 million worth of production, which equates to over a hundred grand in my pocket, to look at him and say no. And other people are like, how can you say no to that? And I was like, well, I still did 44 million last year. So, and they weren't as much of a pain in the ass. You know, you still have a few that slide through, you right. know, here and there, you know, they're like, ah, sneaky, sneaky. But for the most part is I wanted to set the stage of what kind of client and customer I wanted because I knew that if they were the client and customer that I wanted, then they would see the value that I was demonstrating and that I didn't have to be in what I call one of the curses of business, the convincing business. Because you don't have that magical power and you're like that hamster on a wheel throwing a lot of time and energy trying to convince something and someone that you, you this is what it is. And so to be able to sit there, and that's some bold decision-making too, when you say, this is who my employees are going to be, and this is who my clients are going to be. Mm-hmm. Because you're the one with all the financial risk at this thing, right? And you've purchased it, so you still owe on it, right? Mm-hmm. You still got bills to pay before you even pay yourself or pay your family or anybody else. You got to pay the piper on that. It comes with a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights, right? Mm-hmm. And uh and you do, uh, you know, so as, as you know, I've started, you know, two companies here, two more other companies here mm-hmm. since this last summer uh, to support, you know, kind of like a good entrepreneur is you're like, man, uh, I haven't found reliable people, so I'll just go build a company that right. has it, right? 
and uh, and you know helping them with their mindsets of like, look, e equals mc squared. Got divided by the square root of dot com. Comes back with a two percent ratio of this is what this will be. Like that stuff's been done for a hundred years. I could teach that, but creating that mindset of who we were going to be and what we were going to be. That's a hard part. And I, would, and, 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 and I remember telling them uh, we have a Monday morning Zoom team meeting, you know, with all things related in the fund. And I had said, look, you're in business. You're going to lose customers. You're going to lose business. You're going to lose money. As a matter of fact, in the history of Ever Never, there was only one person I've ever heard of in business that didn't lose any money. And his name was Bernie Madoff. And he went to prison because the reason he wasn't losing any money is because he was cooking the books. And that's why that is hard. And it's hard to take that stand and make that decision. So like another recent example, as you know, I'm real big, heavy into culture index and mm-hmm. won't even take client unless they take the index. Right. So I had uh, um, and, I've, and, I, you know, and I've told plenty of agents, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And most of them are too cheap or two lax days or just don't buy into it, don't want to do it. And that's fine. You know, that's the reason they're not doing the volume I'm doing. But I had my uh, Stan Williams reach out and he goes, hey, I got this guy that's a real estate agent. You know, he's familiar with the program and he's really thinking about, you know, kind of applying this the way you've applied it. And he goes, I told him what you were doing. And he goes, will you talk to him? And I said, absolutely. And uh, so I spent a good hour on the phone with a guy and said, this is why I do it. This is how I do it. And this is what it's done for my business. He's like, man, he goes, to make that transition when you made that, like, hey, this is what we do and how we do it, he goes, did you lose any business? And I said, oh, yeah, I certainly did. And he goes, what was that like? And I says, well, it was frustrating. It was scary. There was some business I was okay with losing, and then there was some I was like, what? Why won't you just do this? And, uh, And I said, but now looking at it two years later, my team's happier. I'm happier. Clients are happier, mortgage lenders are happier, everybody's happier. But I said, you got to cross that chasm in order to do it, and it's tough. And he goes, all right, well, I, you know, I'm thinking about this. And then uh, and then he pinged me a couple weeks ago, and he goes, all right, I, I, I'm pulling the trigger on doing this. He goes, do you mind jumping on a Zoom and helping me walk through what you do? And I said, absolutely. And I had uh, one of my other friends I was telling about this, go, you've kind of, patented a way to go do this and you're just going to share it with your competitor and i said is he my competitor no i he and i've never had the same clients before but what i do believe is the real estate industry is on its way out with with buy, with buying and selling agents one because of technology mm-hmm. and two I feel like real estate agents have failed their clients for many, many years. And I kind of take it back to prior to 9-11, everything was done in a book, right? And, you know, 9-11 happened, economics, everything else. And then we went through this real estate boom that led up to 2008. Well, then that happens. And then we suffered through that and then we have the chance to come back then COVID hits right and what my point is being is my opinion licensed real estate agents have not taken the opportunity to do more for their clients than what they should instead they failed them either through their morons lack of experience 
it's a side hustle. I'm a country club mom that does this on the side or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nobody takes them serious. And so I knew when, you know, we formed the Span Group five and a half years ago that that was going to be a tough uphill battle to get over those stigmas that come with it. Like you fight them in IT all the time, the stigma, right? But I was down and set that I'm doing this to not only be better for my clients, but to be better for the industry. So if I have another professional in this industry that reaches out and is willing to spend the money because it ain't cheap on that and do it and exercise that and be successful, I'm not helping a competitor I'm helping a fellow professional be better for this industry because when the music starts playing in the next couple of years, only 20% of us are still going to be standing. And if, and if this professional wants to be better at his business, then absolutely I'll help him. You know, we have a, a similar thing as you're mentioning in, in the IT world. So somebody had told me, and I haven't been able to corroborate this, but there's in just in Tarrant County, there's 3,000 something IT companies, managed service providers, which would basically account, amount to our competitors. Some of them I call just a guy in a garage. It's a guy that was a HVAC person or an old telco phone person that has figured out how to click in the right places to, cl- to do uh, a computer and decided, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to open, I'm going to hang up a shingle and, and open a company. Mm-hmm. Get all the way up to the former EDS guys and Perot Systems people and stuff like that. So there's this huge gamut of and, and space between these companies and how do you kind of figure out where you're going to be? And then again, how do you differentiate yourself? And one of the areas that I bid off on very, very early is that I had initially one, I now have two people that are, that are dedicated to proactive management. They are not part of my project management area. They're not part of my uh, support infrastructure. They are there exclusively to stay on top of the customers, go through their licensing, take a look at their tickets, take a look at their alerts, and just proactively reach out to the customers and and help them build out a an IT roadmap and help them to understand what we're doing. Because ultimately, and this is something that I've that I've said in in a lot of my uh, sales conversations, and I know it's a risky statement to make when I'm talking to a sales prospect, but I'll, I'll tell them, you don't know me from Adam. You have no idea that. I get so much joy when I find out that you're not having to leverage us and that you're not having that that your systems run solid and you can attribute that to the steps that we take. You don't know that that's really where I get my joy. But what you can trust is that you pay me a fixed dollar amount every month. This is an all you can eat ticketing system. And so I can't maximize my profit on what you give me without making sure that you don't use my help desk. The less you use my help desk, mm-hmm. the more money I make on you. And the more the way I make sure you don't use my help desk is I am proactively making sure that your company stays up and running and that maximizes your profits. So you maybe you can't trust the fact that I get immense joy out of you not having to leverage our services, but you can trust that the, the profit motive in that case. And, and the way I maximize that is to try and make sure that you don't use my help desk. And I make sure you don't help my use my help desk by making sure we keep you up and running. Man, you, you know, that's, that's so great to hear because like even with my real estate fund, right? So I've got all kinds of different buckets of investors in this thing. 
and building these other two businesses and you know so the span group's involved in it you got stacks property services grass pro you know james who works with me you, mm-hmm. you know getting all these things put together and i said we are creating processes that literally the sign of success is that we never have to talk to a single investor unless it's me calling tell them an inappropriate joke or tell them Which how much money they make. I'm very great at doing that. Mm-hmm. Or tell them how much money they just made. Which you're also and, great at doing. Right. <laughs> I like making a lot of people money. I take great joy in that, right? And, and, but it's to, that way they don't have to hear from that Whitney. I don't want it to be that when they see my phone ring, they're like, oh, man, what now? Mm-hmm. Right? And it's been hard to build all that stuff, but we're getting there. And it's getting more fluid because now you got to deal with the accountants, right? Because all the different investors have different accountants. This is what I tell folks. Like, look, if I had 10 properties and each property was owned by an investor and each property was identical, right? The, at, at same amount of money, same everything, same expenses, whole nine yards. Well, each person's accountant would report that thing different, right? Mm-hmm. One might call this CapEx, the other one calls it OpEx or whichever and all this. And so I have to deal with multiple different accountants. So I was like, man, how do I do this? You know, because, I mean, you saw it. I mean, like towards the last quarter of the year, I was just brain damaged of dealing with all Mm -hmm. this to where now I created a process where I'm like, hey, look, at any given time, you can click this link, open a folder, and you got everything you need. It's in there by line item. You got spreadsheets. You got the invoices. You got everything you need right there. And then they would sit there and they would, you know, so now I got it to there where it was easier. And they were like, well, why'd you call this one CapEx? I was like, you can call it whatever you want. I don't care. You're the accountant. I was like, I just put a tag next to it of what I thought was most appropriate. But you're the accountant. It's your name on it. But I was doing it so that way they didn't have to, right? So we didn't have to have as much communication because at that point, we have a lot more bandwidth if they're getting everything they need and they don't need us, right? I mean, that's really where you want a customer to get to you is like, I'm not going to get rid of you. But I don't have to use you because you're, you've gotten us where we're doing everything. That is that is a level of success there. And then you'll have some that'll be like, well, I guess I don't need you anymore. Then they leave and then they come right back, right? And so that was that was the problem that we ended up getting is that we would we lost some customers just because they weren't seeing the value proposition. And, and these were customers where you were kind of going back to this idea of finding your right customer and finding the customer that values you. And we had some customers that did not understand that when we're doing our job well, they're not seeing a bunch of tickets. Yeah, that's called success, right? Right. Yeah. And and we're doing our, you know, we still have business reviews that we go out and do. We don't treat them as as a sales leader like a lot of other companies do. We genuinely are trying to ensure that the client has institutional awareness of their IT infrastructure because it's really important for whether you're talking to investors, talking to compliance entities, or you're just talking to, you're just trying to have a handle on your business and sleep well that you've got IT under control. It's important that we have, give you feedback on what that's like. And so as a result of that, we do these reviews. Well, it was always the customers that were not willing to sit down and have the review. They were always too busy for the review. And we just, I stopped losing sleep over losing those customers because they were not our customers. They were not going to partner with us to help us make their business run better. They just saw us as a help desk. And when they didn't need to use us as a help desk anymore because we stabilized everything for them, they were gone. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's a really really important point is you know I, identifying which ones because because if you if you identify which customers you don't want to be customers you no longer have to be in a convincing business because that's what you're doing trying to convince them to do hey mm-hmm. let's do this review let's do this review but they're not doing it so if they don't care why should you care you should and how, here's how you demonstrate you don't care because you get rid of them as a customer and you go find the ones that do care that are going to see that value proposition that are going to see it and and, and the thing is I think you know, there there's so many terms in this world that have been bastardized right and I think value proposition is one of those. Right mm-hmm. is that's why, like at the Span Group, we, you know, we, like even when you called me for some stuff, is I said, look, there are two core values we have. First off, is the value exchange. I got to trust you. You got to trust me. One side of lopsided, lopsided. Somebody's in a convincing business. I don't want to be convinced, and I nor do I want to convince somebody else of anything else. But as long as we have that value exchange, and that unlocks the value proposition, which is your money is always going to be more important than my money, because I don't get paid unless you get paid. But you had to have one in order to have the other. And the other wouldn't survive or exist without the other, right? And so to be able to take that concept in business and be able to articulate that quickly and digestible for somebody to get that is actually an art in business to be able to do because then it's like, okay, now I can just present my value proposition and one of three types of people are going to be out there. Those that don't get it, okay, not here to convince them. And then the, those, the other two that do get it, but one doesn't care and one does, then you know you're going to go with the one that does get it and the one that cares. And then, by the way, it makes you happier, your business happier, them happier, your employees happier, everybody's happier, right? And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's more about being happy and not proving who's right, right? And, and I think there's a lot of mistakes in businesses. One or both sides of an entity – is too busy trying to see who's more right. No, how do we make each other happy? Mm-hmm. I want you to be happy. I want me to be happy. And as long as we're happy, things are good. And people miss that. And that, that's one of the things I think of about in your business, right? You're really good about wanting to make people happy, but you're not there to convince somebody to be happy, right? So when, you, when you're out looking for an ideal client, describe to me what an ideal client is for you. You know, and that's the marketing, you know, the marketing people are always asking that and they're always wanting, you know, to, to hone in on some kind of category of, of that. And that's, I find that to be really difficult because as much as an industry, if, like if you're talking about a vertical, for example, yeah. an industry really thinks that there's, that their industry is very, very, very unique. Most of the time, they're wrong. <laughs> Most right. of the time, even coming from the oil and gas industry, they're very, very particular about it. And there's some nuanced stuff for all kinds of different businesses. But really, by and large, most businesses and the needs of that business are uh, very similar or at least tangentially related. And you just need to kind of get in and hone in on certain specific logistical things or software entities. So. One of the ways that I stay away from when I'm talking about ideal clients as I stay away from uh, talking about industry and vertical because we really support all kinds of different verticals. Obviously, I came from the oil and gas industry. I can talk that industry a little bit better. But I know that what happened in the oil and gas industry is not all that different from manufacturing. There's still asset tagging that has to happen. And there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things where it's just cross-pollinating across those. So I really stay away from talking about verticals because we, we do most everything. Um, another thing when I'm talking about ideal customers, I, I try and talk, get away from talking about revenue and, and company size because 
I've had 15 person customer companies that were not a fit for us. Okay. And then I've had, I had one company that had two people in the whole company. It happened to be an oil and gas company, but they were majority owned by an Australian bank. And so they had high compliance requirements and high cybersecurity requirements and were referred to me because of the fact that we lead on cyber and that I have such a strong uh, background in that. And so because of that, they were referred to us. Two people, they're not going to meet our minimum billing. And I went through and explained to them that. They said, tell me what it is. And they paid 10 times what they would have paid otherwise to be able to stay with us. And it's because they valued security. They valued doing things the right way. They, they understood that there's a reason large organizations do things the way they do. And so recognizing that there's, that there's value in that and needing that kind of guidance is, was something that was really important to them. So really what I, where I kind of talk about is there is a little bit of a sweet spot in you know, no less than really probably 15, 20 computers up to you know, 250 or, or more computers that's an area in which we we really can fit in well and we're not starting to talk about a company really better justifying their spend by having in-house IT. On the other side of that, they just have to value what we bring to the table and be willing to partner with us. Like it can't be a situation where they just need a help desk situation, don't call us, we'll call you. They need to understand that there's there's value to secure to cybersecurity and not just the tools that we bring to the table. Our security stack is is really, really robust, exemplified by the fact that my cybersecurity insurance is actually less than most companies half my size uh, in revenue and, and IT count just because of what we do with our clients. And they think we're a much lower risk. And that's in an industry where 90% of insurance companies have left the cyber cyber insurance market for managed services providers. So that that really is very telling to me on, on what we do and what we bring on the security standpoint. But our customer really needs to value that. And we're seeing that a lot now, whether it's they're coming because their insurance company is handing them this questionnaire and say, are you doing this? And I said, well, we're not right now because you chose not to go with our security product. So if we answer this as it is now, it's not going to it's not going to look well for you. However, or look good for you. If you take our security product and take our recommendations on security and we answer all this, we're going to be able to answer it all affirmatively and it's going to look really good for you. It's going to look good for your investors and for that kind of stuff. And so that is the biggest one where we see the most value. And and when they have it when they value cyber and not just, hey, do we have a good antivirus? Okay, cool when they value the full breadth of what cybersecurity really is, and it's not just the tools, that ends up being a really, really great customer for us because they want to partner with us. They want to actually work with us. And that's that's where the value is. The value is not when we, you send us a ticket, we fix the ticket, and we fix the issue, and then you move on your merry way. That's part of it, but that's that's commoditized IT, and that's not that's not a value to us, and it's not a value to the customer. So if I understand you correctly, is the amount of money affecting their bottom line on insurance costs is altered because of the service that you provide. Very much so, yeah. And then so what they pay you is certainly offset by the amount of money that affects their bottom line that they save on 
because now insurance, well, like you said, it's like, hey, there's some of these that might not even be able to be insured, mm-hmm. right? So not only to answer that first question, we can get you insured, and then two, your insurance costs are going to be significantly lower, therefore affecting a higher profitability in your company because this we're going to do X, Y, Z. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty – man, it just kind of – it almost makes well, I already know the answer to my question. I was gonna say, why why would somebody not want to do that? And then I'm like, Yeah, well, that's because it's called human behavior. Uh exactly. humans humans get in the way of things. Well, this is a really good segue to to, to go into this topic of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. So last week we had another country attack another country, right? right. Russia going into Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And even prior to that happening, we've been dealing with cyber threats for as long as I can remember. And you had even mentioned that the oil and gas industry is the third most invaded for these cyber most targeted, yeah. tar- targeted. And even I was reading a deal yesterday. Actually, it was Chris Jameson had told me about it. Anonymous. Mm-hmm. So here they are. They're hacking commune. Commune. Yeah. And now they're attacking the Russians. We were like, well, at least they pick somebody we don't, you know, or at. At adversarial with at the time, you know, instead right? Of, instead of something that we maybe didn't want attacked, but that there is a large level of importance to that. So ever since, you know, because you, I've I've read an article where the Russians were trying to attack the cyber of Ukraine to see mm-hmm. what's going on there. And then you got anonymous attacking Russia's, you know, defense systems and all this. And, and it, it, so what? Walk us through, like what 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 is that? What's going on right now? And how does that affect us here in the U.S. and not just us in the U.S. but businesses in the U.S.? Yeah. So every every developed country has a cybersecurity or cyber threat, cyber warfare group now, both offensive and defensive. United States is actually one of the best, which we're very fortunate for that. Russia's right up there. They've invested a lot of money in that, and they have their state-sponsored cyber warfare departments, for lack of a better term, that is actually part of their intelligence and military organizations. What Russia has um, different from maybe a lot of other countries is they have what what I would call and have heard called patriotic hackers. And these are hackers that are not officially part of the government, whether it's the intelligence agencies or the military. They may be part of an official organization for official organization being the organized crime, Russian mafia, things like that. And some of them, their, their range of abilities are going to are going to vary. You know, some of them are going to be so good that they can they can attack our critical infrastructure items, you know, stuff that the military is going to be attacking anyways. But these patriotic hackers some of these are just that good and are going to have those capabilities. Some of them are going to be just kind of general. Uh, they own botnets. So this concept of a botnet. What's a botnet? Is a, it's a network of compromised computers. So what a lot of people don't realize is that most computers, by the time you have been, that you, by the time you realize your computer or your network has been compromised, the bad guys have been there for an average of 190 days. Wow. That's the average. So everyone that for every you know set of computers that were that was discovered within 30 days, well, you know that they're you know those other computers have been compromised for over a year, and so in a lot of cases there's nothing going on, and it's the reason that they are not d- 
detect it is because they have been compromised. But these bad guys only want to compromise and just sit and hold it. They want to sit and wait and create this botnet. And it's just this little agent running on the computer that phones home to, in this case, we'll say Russia, to a server in Russia. And it's a command and control server waiting for something to do. Uh, And there's actually a cottage industry for people where less capable hackers that want to go out and distribute some ransomware or something along those lines will actually rent part of this botnet. There's a catalog of saying, we have this many computers that have these characteristics and this kind of operating system and hotfix level and stuff like that, software that's on there. And then you can basically rent some of that botnet, drop your delivery, deliver your package on there to do ransomware or do uh, crypto mining or things of that nature. And then when you're done doing that, you've, you've paid the bad guy for the compute time, you've done whatever you're gonna do with those computers and then you're out. And that's what these botnets are for. They're also for distributed attacks. So you might, you might have a botnet of millions and millions of computers around the world. And if you want to flood uh, it's called a denial of service attack. You can flood a web server. You can flood a any kind of public-facing internet thing with a series of packets and, and potentially bring down that system uh, by flooding that. So you've got that. It's kind of the middle. And then you've got these kind of what we call script kitties that are just kind of, you know, 12-year-old kids sitting in homeroom, bored out of their minds, and they're sending out phishing emails asking you to click on something so you'll download this piece of ransomware and pay them their Bitcoin. Yeah. And so that's kind of the gamut of all these patriotic hackers. And that is a force that has not yet been unleashed on the U.S., but as these sanctions really start to hit the Russian people, there's going to be this backlash. And, and there's going to be a, a really big effort out there. And it's largely probably going to be ransomware because it's the easiest to deploy. And it's their way around sanctions. So we have cut them out of most of the banking systems throughout the world. They can't use the dollar. They can't convert the ruble to anything. Their way around these sanctions is going to be cryptocurrency. Well, the primary means for paying for ransomware to get your decryption key if you so choose to pay on that ransomware is Bitcoin, Ethereum, different kinds of cryptocurrency. And so not only are you going to have the the Russian government looking for a way to monetize this stuff and and get more cryptocurrency to just help get some kind of money in there, these oligarchs that we've been targeting that are the head of the Russian mafia, they're going to be focusing these patriotic hackers to do that so they can get more cryptocurrency just to try and offset what they're losing on that. So we're really going to see a real big uptick, not not necessarily retaliatory because they're mad at us, though they may be, but it's also going to be just a way for them to get money through cryptocurrency that they aren't able to get otherwise because of the sanctions we've imposed. So if I had to recap, correct me if I'm wrong, is these attacks from Russia are likely to increase not because they're retaliating to get back at it, but because, hey, we've cut off their money. This is their state of survival. If you're not going to allow me to have access to it, I'm going to go steal it. And that actually is actually another way, thank you for mentioning that one part, because 
most people are keeping their cryptocurrencies in these crypto wallets, uh, whether it's Coinbase or, or some of these other crypto wallets. I am anticipating an increase in attacks on these crypto wallets because they can just outright steal your cryptocurrency by by getting in there and then trading it and, and doing that. So there's going to be an uptick in those kinds of attacks as well. Wow. Wow. So how does something like that affect the consumers back here, people with larger companies? I mean, other than, hey, look, we we hacked your stuff. We're going to hold this ransom. You're going to wire us some money, crypto. You're going to get, send us some cryptos, and we'll let you have it back, right. right? What are some of the other things that you see on the horizon as far as disruption being caused by by these Well, Russian obviously, hackers? there's going to be an increase in attacks on – and a more concerted in, set of attacks on our infrastructure. And so while your company is not going to be directly impacted because your computer system is not going to go down, if um, – your employees don't have water or electricity, or you don't have electricity in your building because the power grid was taken down. Uh, it'll be s- similar to Snowmageddon, you know, last year. Yeah. That, that kind of an environment is can be recreated through a cyber threat landscape. From the patriotic hackers, the the really, if, if I could say good thing about it is these are not novel threats. These are we're talking about an increase in their focus on it, an increase in their attempts on it. But it's the same threat that we face really day in and day out. And so if you have a really strong security posture and you have a a hardened environment, I will never tell a client or a potential client that we will absolutely prevent you from being hacked. Because if anybody does promise you that, you turn around and leave. There's no such thing as a guarantee. Talk to Google, talk to Microsoft, talk to DOD. I mean, if any of these companies or entities you'd think wouldn't be hacked, it would be those. And they still got hacked. I, t- I tell folks all the time in business, especially, you know, that I have investors is like, hey, they go, can you guarantee? I said, hell no. Right. I said, number one, anytime somebody goes, I guarantee you should use that as your red flag to turn around and run. Because like even this, the president of the United States, I would argue, is probably one of the most protected people on the face of this planet with the amount of money, secret service and everything else. But if somebody wanted to get to the president bad enough, they could find a way. They've right? proven it. Yeah, they've proven it. It's happened before, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, so no one has ever. That's why it always takes me back to my economics professor, my MBA was. Well, I have a ninety-five percent confidence rating, right? Mm-hmm. Because nothing's ever a hundred percent, but I'm ninety-five percent on it, right? There because you, go. you know, it's kind of like a deal. Deal isn't done until the ink is dry and uh, and, and the and money is exchanged. One person exchanged. gets the keys, the other gets the money. Yep. Right, you know. And I mean, I'm working on one right now that has just literally been difficult every step of the way. Where we were supposed to close tomorrow, now it's supposed to be next week. And then actually, after the news I got today, we're gonna have to go back to them and say, well, it's not gonna be next week. It's gonna be the week after because of some parts, you know, decisions they've made on their end and decisions we've made on our end. But it's not done until it's done. And so, so you don't give any of those guarantees out there. But what you do you say is, I go, I can reduce the risk of this. So, like, even like you've seen my analysis on on assets, right? I mean, right. Yeah. It was just, just. There, people tell me they're like, man, they're like, I just thought you were just a dumb old marine. Man, I had no idea you do this stuff. <laughs> and 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 it's so like, even when people look at my analysis on stuff, they're like, I've never seen anybody else do this before. This is absolutely amazing. The the, the amount of analysis you do on this. 
And they're like, so you're, you're, you're saying this is going to happen? I says, no. I said, what it does is prior to doing analysis on this, I'd say, yeah, maybe 50-50. Now I'm down to 95%, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anything can happen along the way. There's all these surprises that, that come up. And so that's the important thing for people to understand is like, do you want to go spend money on someone that will guarantee you something and you're in even bigger trouble or someone that's going to be honest with you and say, look, there are no guarantees, but here's the measures we're going to take to be proactive, right? Because, look, cyber terrorists are just like regular terrorists. They're looking for the path of least resistance. And you're They're trying to looking. harden the target. They're looking for the easy target. Look, a, a, a lion or a tiger out in the wilderness doesn't go after the biggest, fastest, strongest zebra. They look for the slowest, smallest, sickliest one. They're looking for the easier target, mm-hmm. right? Because why should they take the risk on a hard target when you got plenty of low-hanging fruit, easy targets that you can just – it takes less effort to go after. And so if I understand what you're doing is you're saying, listen, we're going to make you a harder target, which is even going to further expose the easier targets that they're going to go spend their time jacking with, right? right. That's exactly right. Yeah. We just we are trying to harden the target. We are trying to uncover as much stuff as reasonably can be expected to spend. You yeah. know, again, we're not going to be taking the kind of measures that the government takes. NIST eight hundred fifty three. Um, you know, those kinds of things because most small businesses can't operate under those parameters. But we're going to harden your target, and we're going to make it very, very difficult for them to compromise that. And and part of it, and one of the biggest areas, is employee education. You know, the weakest link in the the cybersecurity chain is always the person. And it's the same thing when you're talking about espionage. It's always the people that are the weakest link in the whole thing. You can employ as many tools as you want, but if you've got somebody that is just click happy and they see this delivery from UPS that they weren't expecting. And so they click on it to see what it was and they download Boom. ransomware and it goes throughout. You know, the tools can try and help you with lateral replication and vertical replication within your network, but you still have that one attack vector that she just clicked on it and then and then it goes crazy from there. And it goes nuts. Yeah, that's – and and here's here's the other thing too and this is not meant to be a political statement this is i mean look i was a foreign policy major i was i was in the marines you know i've worked in embassies abroad is right now we are so hyper focused on what's going out to the west of us with russia that we better be keeping our eyes open on what's going on to the east of us with china right because mm-hmm. it, it, it it's there is they're waiting for their opportunity. We've been king of the mountain as the superpower since the wall in, in Germany fell. That's a long time That's to hold the time. hold the Super Bowl ring, it right? Is. Where, you know, and Russia's demonstrating that now. Now do I think that Russia's, you know, at a at a point where no, but do I think they're crazy enough to do something that could cause some serious issues on this planet? Yes, right? I mean who knows what the mental state of Putin is, right? Let's say that guy. Let's say that guy's all of a sudden got some mental health issues all of a sudden because of whatever else, got mad cow disease, whatever you want to call it. And what what can that guy 
do. He's got he's got his finger on a button that could do a lot of damage, right? The only the only hope from that standpoint is that he can only do what the people around him will do. Yeah. And and the hope is that if that's the case, and I don't, I'm not sure that you're far off. I, yeah. I think there's a lot to point to the fact that maybe he's not playing with a full deck right now. Oh yeah. And the hope is that that's going to be seen by the people around him and will not continue with some of the things that he's threatening. A- absolutely. But while we've got our attention distracted mm-hmm. on him in Russia, don't think for a second that the Chinese, who have demonstrated and advertised that they want to be number one, they want to be king of the mountain, they want to be the Super Bowl winners, and they are, they are watching right now, They are and they have been. We've been dealing with cyber attacks from the Chinese. So that's a careful balance to have in this country, just even as a government, of splitting your attention, right? And as a matter of fact, when we had Cowtown Warriors Ball this last weekend, I said, look, the same thing happened in World War II. We were fighting in Europe, and then we had over here fighting with the Japanese in, in the Pacific. And we had diverted our attention and resources and so much for so long that one of the main reasons that one stopped is because, well, we nuked Nagasaki and, and Hiroshima, but that was when we were the only ones that have nukes. Now everybody has nukes. Mm-hmm. So now you've really got to be – that's a careful consideration to divert your attention to both sides. And we just came out of 20 years of fighting two wars, right? Mm-hmm. And and so there's a lot of ambiguity out there that I, I believe that a lot of businesses and people out there rely too heavily on the government to come save the day. And the reality is, is if it's your company and your business and you're waiting on the government to come in and help you out and bail you out, no. You need to take action now. You need to call Brian and say, hey, I, I want to make sure my business is, is protected so that way I'm a harder target, you know. And because think about this. is Let's say you've got 10 people in the same space. And you've got three that are utilizing your, your, your MSPs, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And the other seven are well. When the music stops playing, where are they going to go? Guess who's get, when the dust clears. Guess who's still got a seat? The three that did it right. And it's become this 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 space. I believe for a long time that had so many stigmas to it that I don't need it or this or that. Where we're living. If you have this thing right here, a smartphone, and you've got a laptop, guess what? You you're in the show. It's you know well, you're knee you're, you're deep. <laughs> there was a period where you could count on security through obscurity. This idea that nobody cares about me, nobody wants to come after me, but the methods are so indiscriminate these days that you are either going to be a target of it through just getting ransomware thrown on there, and you have to pay the Bitcoin to get it out, or you're going to be complicit unknowingly, but you're going to be part of an attack on on somebody else. A few years ago, we were talking about a, the botnet stuff. A few years ago, there was a day where uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Spotify, Netflix, I mean, all these kind of big companies, big software as a service companies, all went down at the same time. Nobody could Twitter. Nobody could do any of that stuff. Nobody could Facebook. Nobody could do anything. And everybody was saying, all the, all the system admins are going to lose their jobs and that kind of stuff. And it wasn't that at all. What had happened was a, a Russian hacker 
had created a botnet out of everybody's DVR players that were internet connected DVR players and IP, IP cameras, IP security cameras. Because these people are not, these companies are not security professionals. They're not IT security professionals. They are buying some freeware code, throwing it on their device and putting it out there so they were easy to compromise, but they're still just computers. They're very slimmed down computers, but they're computers nonetheless. They were compromised and these hackers decided to focus on the DNS servers, which is the name resolution service for these. All these millions of devices, whether they were uh, security cameras or DVRs, focused these attacks, these stream of packets onto these servers. Denial of service brought it all down and, and created the chaos. No real damage was done. It was just chaos. But it's, it's that kind of thing where people are not taking things seriously. And you talk about the government's you know, needing to rely on the governments to bail them out. Federally, we've got a fantastic cybersecurity posture. Fortunately, here in Texas, we have an unbelievable, a really, really great cybersecurity environment and, and team that works on protecting that stuff. Municipally, I mean, you've got, you literally have cities all over the, sit, the state and the country getting massive ransomware attacks that are taking them down, that are compromising people's county records, jail records, things like that, because they are not taking cybersecurity. Oh, yeah. And especially when it becomes a municipality, let's say a, a municipality that doesn't have a lot of tax base income coming in, they go with the lowest bidder, right? Mm-hmm. And that lowest bidder isn't going to give them the things that they need to protect them. So all they're doing is spending money for someone to still crack it, right? Right. And and so that's why where these things become, you know, very, very important to come in where, you know, it, it, it if you're an audience member out there right now and, and you're a decision maker in a company and, or you own your own business, if you are not putting this at the forefront, then you're, 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 in, you're already behind the curve, right? You're already yeah. behind the curve. Like even this other thing, you know, that I've been working on for, you know, a little bit of time here that you and I talked bit. about, yeah. right? Is, uh, and I was like, hey, that's going to be for, you know, I'm not going to sit there and turn around and go build something where somebody can just come in and steal it, right? Mm-hmm. Or hold me hostage or, or whichever else. You know, so these are important things that people need to consider. And if, and if you haven't, you need to start considering it now. You're already behind the curve. Right. And if you're not been considerate and you're not going to consider it now, guess what? You're the low hanging fruit. That's exactly you're right. You're the low hanging fruit that's going to get hit. So don't get mad because you listen to this series. And you didn't go take action by calling Brian because you were like, that's not going to happen to me. And then when it does, you can listen to the show and hear me say, I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody who knows me, anybody who knows me knows I love giving an I told you so. I love giving an I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) So... Man, your company does all these amazing things. And naturally, we've talked about your journey to get here. It was very easy, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, just somebody easy, just handed easy. this to you, right? Mm-hmm. Is if you could go back to 20-year-old self, go back to Brian 20, would, would, would be willing to listen to just one thing. You were like, hey, I'll go back in time because I know 20-year-old self will listen to this one thing. I've been guaranteed, not guaranteed, 95% confidence rating right. that they will listen to this one thing. What would you go back and tell 20-year-old self? Probably stay the course and trust yourself. Interestingly enough, 20-year-old self was when I realized that I was not going to be a doctor. 
something that I had in, planned for my whole life. Started out as it was going to be a vet, it's a, but it's kind of the same thing. When I was young, 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 I was going to be a vet. Then I migrated over to I was going to be a doctor. Took that all the way to when I was 20, and that was when I took organic and realized I wasn't going to be a doctor. And um, that was that was a hard pill to swallow. And um, I really that was the first time I felt maybe a true sense of failure um, that I had failed on something that had been my whole focus my whole life. And so had to work my way around that, had to convince myself that counseling, you know, being a counselor in psychology was going to be the way to go. And then I graduated and found out can't do anything without a master's degree. And so then I'm kind of wandering and wondering what's going to do. And, and there were there was some real anxiety that came with some of that stuff. I've never been a control freak outside of my own company, but I've never really been a control freak in my life. But I was really feeling like things were not in control and I didn't know where things were going. And so I would just kind of let him know, just just keep working, just keep grinding and stay the course and uh, and it will work out. I'm fascinated by the show that every time I ask that question, I get nothing but candor. And I still, to this day, don't think I've ever had the exact same response. Yeah, I don't so, know how you could. Everybody's path is so different. It is yeah. very, right? Very different. Kind of like fingerprints. Everybody's fingerprints are different. <laughs> you know, everybody, what they would tell themselves at 20 is much different. So, so folks want to learn more about getting an MFP. Where do they go? How do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? You know, the best way is to probably just go to our website and fill out the form. It's www.acotech.com, A-E-K-O-T-E-C-H.com. Certainly you can call us at 817-923-2419. You can email us at info at acotech.com. All of those will work. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn and we're on LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, Again, it's ACO, A-E-K-O, which is a very unusual spelling, but it's it opens some great conversations when I get to say it. And just in case you were driving down the road, you couldn't catch that. Oh, you can always remember go to our website, my experienced experience with an ED, myexperiencerealtor.com. Click on podcast, go down to Brian Rogers episode, and we'll have all the links. That way you can easily find it. That way you don't text and drive and don't try to write and drive. You keep focusing on driving. That way you could be able to do that. And then naturally is if you're ever looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet. Please go to find a trusted professional on the homepage. Click that. We'll make sure that even if you're not in Fort Worth, we'll get you somebody. But hey, this is important stuff on this cybersecurity. Do yourself a favor. If you know somebody that's a decision maker or has a business, share this episode with them. Let them know that they if they don't have an MSP right now, then they need to get an MSP. And if they need a good MSP, then they can call my friend Brian Rogers. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. What'd you think?